0: are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Some
1: kind of and ride I'll be sliding down I'll be gliding down Try not to try too hard
2: Welcome to Turning Hard Times Into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
3: Welcome to Turning Hard Times Into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I am also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes a great newsletter called Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes an excellent newsletter, a money-making newsletter, I dare say for most people anyway, they've done extremely well. That letter is what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling. We have one a one-time only introductory offer to all three newsletters and if you'd like to take advantage of that, call Claudio Bossi at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426 or go to our website at dot miningstocks.com. miningstocks.com. Also, I'd like to invite you to go to jaytaylormedia.com, that's J-A-Y Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, media.com, for access to a host of sites related to the work that I do, Chen Lin does, Roger Wiegand does as well uh... you can access this radio show from that site you can access all three of the newsletters you can access face the analyst videos uh... with various companies and several of those companies uh... that i recently interviewed in val d'or quebec are now posted and you can go to J taylor media to access that also, I am frequently a guest on BNN, that's Canada's national television network, Fox Business, and CNBC, in particular CNBC Asia. So, a lot of those past clips, if you're interested in what yours truly has to say, you can access them again through jtaylormedia.com. Again, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show and for telling your friends about it. You have made this the number one show on the Voice America business channel. We're very proud about that. We're number one by a considerable margin. Of course, I want to thank our corporate sponsors for making our show financially viable. They are, for this first hour, Barkerville Gold, Crocodile Gold, Coral Gold, North Atlantic Resources, American Bonanza, Palangio Exploration, Millrock Resources, Revolution Resources, and Uranium Energy. This week, we have a hugely interesting topic, I think. Uh, We're going to be uh, discussing with our main guest, John Loftus. He is the author of a new book called uh, america's nazi secrets or america's nazi secret i should say this is an insider's history of how the u s department of justice has obstructed congress in a number of ways they've blocked congressional investigations into famous american families who funded hitler stalin and arab terrorists Uh, They've lied to Congress, the GAO, the CIA, about the post-war immigration of Eastern European Nazi war criminals into the United States. And they have concealed from the 9-11 investigators the role of the Arab Nazi war criminals in recruiting modern Eastern terrorist groups uh, to work behind the scenes. This does sound revolutionary. It may trouble a lot of people. I find it troubling. But uh, we really want to understand what's really going on, not necessarily what we're told has gone on. America's Nazi Secret, I think, is a fascinating read. It expands information that was previously published uh, as The Bolera Secret, and that won an Emmy Award for 60 Minutes in a program Mike Wallace did titled The Nazi Connection. From what I can see, the work of John Loftus further validates the views of other guests we have had on this show. In the past, people like Ed Griffin, who wrote an excellent book, I think it's a must-read book, called The Creature from Jekyll Island, if you really want to know who the powers are behind the throne, who established the Federal Reserve, why was it established, and for what purpose, I think Ed Griffin's book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, provides some very strong evidence uh, that that some of these same people, perhaps, that uh, John Leftus is going to tell us about are really behind the the, uh, the policies that are being instituted right now in America uh, by the Federal Reserve. I think that John's work, uh, John Leftus's work, uh, really corroborates very accurately what Ed Griffin has, has had to say. Other people we've had on our show, John Perkins, for example, uh, Catherine Austin Fitz, Um, Adrian Salbucci, and certainly Daniel Estrin, who is the world's premier authority on the Bilderbergs, uh, the Bilderberger Group. We could add other folks probably that we've had on this show as well uh, that that more or less confirm or suggest uh, uh, similar views. Uh, Certainly the work of the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. I don't want to forget them. That fits very much into the thesis of our main guest today. In fact, I think GATA... Uh, for short, short for the Gold Antitrust Action Committee, has focused on what is the most important control point of the evil that is going on, that's being done against the American people in favor of the ruling elite. I'm talking about the manipulation of the gold and the silver markets. Indeed, one of the biggest questions I have uh, to ask John Luftus today is amazingly related to the fine work that Gada has done over the many over many of the last few years John talks about how important the wealth quantification metals are wealth quantification metals keep that in mind gold and silver have been used to quantify measure and to retain wealth he, he suggests that it is a controlling factor in our political system By the ruling elite, the same ruling elite, I believe, who created the Federal Reserve Bank as outlined by Ed Griffin in his excellent book that I just mentioned. By the way, if you want, you can go back and listen to the interviews I did with Ed Griffin and all the other folks I just mentioned. Simply go to the guest tab on our radio website and look up the guest names. Click on that name, and when you do so, you will see the particular uh, sessions, a particular shows that they're on, click on that link, and then it will take you right to the show. Once you're on to a given show, you can uh, move the cursor over and pick up that part of the one or two hour shows that, uh, that are in question. In any event, I'm looking very much to the interview with John Loftus. He'll be coming with us uh, in a little, uh, just a little bit, uh, probably at about a half past the hour. We'll have John joining us. Um, what we in this program have operated under the thesis that it's better to know about a disease than not to know about it. I mean, that would certainly seem evident enough, I think, to most folks. Uh, it would apply to us as uh, our medical conditions as human beings, for example. If we're aware of a problem, uh, is, there's a better chance of doing something about it, uh, treating it, uh, than if we're ignorant about it. So being a way... Uh, away from those powers behind the throne, under being aware, I should say, the powers behind the American political system are, uh, I think, what is very important for people to understand so that they can really cut through the propaganda that they're getting day in, day out on the mainstream media, uh, which I believe is much more controlled than people than most Americans have uh, any idea about. Uh, so, for example, if you, own, if you understand who owns the, uh, the banking system, who's behind it, who owns the Federal Reserve banking system? Well, it's not you. It's not me. It's not the people, the American, not the American people, for sure. Uh, It is a ruling elite of international bankers who own that. Uh, If you understand that, then you can understand why the policies of bailing out the rich bankers and impoverishing the American public going forward into the future, why that has been the modus operandi of our policymakers over the last number of years. Yes, they will give you all kinds of reasons why it's for your good, but I don't buy it, folks. I really don't. Uh, certainly don't. I mean, there would, it's not to say we wouldn't have some considerable uh, pain and suffering if there wasn't intervention into the monetary system. Uh, I, I have no doubt in the short run that would be true, that we would all suffer more. Uh, but longer term, I believe we are being impoverished uh, far more than most Americans can even comprehend at this point in time. So uh, I do believe that people who have been listening to this show have an advantage over those who have not. Of course, it is difficult sometimes to accept the notion uh, that we've been had, that we've been fooled, that somehow people are really um, – uh, that, 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 that people that we trust and we build our lives around are being dishonest with us. That's uh, that's difficult, and it certainly does require uh, you know a certain kind of person perhaps to grasp that uh, and to be able to deal with it. But as I say again, I think it's better that we know uh, that we are not ignorant of what is really going on. Uh, It's better to be knowledgeable and not to be knowledgeable. So the practical side of this show is it's not just understanding what is going on for some uh, curious uh, intellectual desire, but basically it's so we can apply those things towards Making our lives better towards preserving our wealth uh, towards being ready for the kind of political repercussions that may come about as a result of uh, of all that is going on, um, The sponsors of our show are mostly comprised of gold and silver mining companies, and these are the sponsors for this show for a good reason. We do believe that gold and silver is a wealth restoring or a wealth uh, enhancing and um, uh, a way to retain what wealth you 've generated while Policymakers are really debasing the currency. Mr. Bernanke is printing trillions of dollars out of thin air and debasing your value. The Chinese understand this, which is why they are becoming very touchy and not willing to continue buying American bonds the way they had been, why they're buying gold, why they're encouraging their citizens to buy gold, why they're angry about the bailouts and the QE2 of Mr. Bernanke. The Chinese have put aside a couple of trillion dollars uh... in uh... in reserves and now they see mr bernanke able to with a with a few keystrokes of the computer to basically create two trillion dollars more of of wealth and claims against the world's wealth uh... and that doesn't make the chinese people happy it makes them angry no doubt and i think americans should be upset about this as well because each of us if we retain our dollars our paper currency are going to find that our purchasing power is eroding away very rapidly. Well, to help us today, we've got Frank Callahan. He's the president and CEO of Barkerville Gold in just a few minutes. I expect to be talking to Frank. Uh he's going to tell us about the progress that's being made in his uh the gold mine that is uh operated by Barkerville Gold, just a new producing gold mining company, I think with lots of upside potential. Then in the second hour of the show at around four fifteen or so we'll be talking to Frank Abasa. He's the president and CEO of Gold Bullion Development Corp. This is a company that I believe maybe in the early stages of outlining a very major gold deposit an open pit deposit in quebec and if i'm right this company's shares should have quite a run david wolfen will be with us at around 4:30 today that's eastern time he's the president of coral gold they have a sizable gold deposit uh, in Nevada, and uh, they are developing that very nicely. That, I think, is perhaps one of the most undervalued stocks uh, that I have seen in some time with 3.2 million ounces of gold selling way below the market value for most similar projects. So to take advantage, uh, again, we, we, want to, uh, we want you to be mindful. These are not risk-free investments. We want you to do your own due diligence, uh, talk to your own financial advisor before you go out and buy these stocks. Uh, but we do hope that you'll listen to what these men have to say because we do think there are some very promising ways to enhance wealth uh, or at least retain what you have. Well, we're going to take a break now in just a a couple of minutes. Uh, Well, actually, in about 30 seconds, we are going to – I might just mention Chen Lin is normally with me today. He was not – he's not with us today. Uh, But Chen, you want to make sure that you are really following uh, what he's doing. He will probably be with us next week. Chen has had some excellent uh, advice again Go to MiningStocks.com to learn more about Chen Lin. Well, we're going to be right back in just a minute with, with Frank Callahan and Barkerville Gold. So don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America
4: Business Network. Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity. Pass by.
5: American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity
0: the high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Millrock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Millrock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Peck, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Eldius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future, investors can share in the potential rewards. Rock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. Revolution Resources Corp. is a publicly trading exploration company that trades under the symbol RV on the TSX Exchange. Led by an experienced management team with a track record for discoveries, Revolution has initiated drilling on the company's newly acquired Champion Hills Gold Project in North Carolina. Revolution is focused on making a world-class discovery in an established gold belt, and with over $5 million in the treasury, Revolution is effectively positioned to do so. Please visit www.revolutionresourcescorp.com
6: for further information. As regular listeners to this show know, I am very bullish on gold, and especially gold mining stocks. One of my favorite gold mining companies is Metanor Resources, traded Toronto and the Pink Sheets. This is a new gold producer. It is using cash flows from its Berry mine in Quebec to finance growth of that mine and to put the world-famous Quebec Bachelor Lake mine back into production. This stock has been recommended by my newsletter because I do believe it holds extraordinary upside price potential with relatively low levels of risk. Visit Metanor's website at metanor.ca or subscribe to my newsletter for more information.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Try not
1: to try too hard. It's just a love mirror.
2: You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Technology stocks at www.miningstocks.com now back to our program
3: Welcome back to Trading Hard Times in the Good Times. I am your host Jay Taylor. Uh, Barkerville Gold has been a full sponsor for this show now for a couple of quarters, and I'm really uh, happy about that. This is because this is a company that I think is going to be a success, and they've been uh, evolving into a success since we've had them on the show. We don't take credit for that. We give Frank Callahan, the CEO of the company, credit for that. Frank's going to Frank is with us. I just want to tell you before we start chatting with Frank that Barkerville uh, Gold trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol BGM. It trades on the -the over-the-counter market in the U.S. under the symbol BGMZF. There are 63.6 million shares outstanding. And uh, earlier today, when I glanced at the shares, they were selling at $1.38 or thereabouts. And that gives this company what I consider to be a very modest market cap of about $88 million. And I say very modest because it's a producing company, and it's a producing company that I think has a chance to grow organically very substantially over the years to come. That's one reason that it is a uh, a recommendation in my newsletter. It's another reason why uh, Mrs. Taylor and I have some shares in our Uh, personal holdings of this company just as a uh, matter of full disclosure to let you all know that uh, this is not uh, that I'm not disinterested in the success of this company so uh, consider that when you consider uh, potential biases but I but honestly um, again let's get to Frank Frank welcome uh, to Turning hard times a good time really good to have you back again
7: nice to be here with you Jay how are you doing
3: well, I'm really good. And I know you're on the East Coast. You're up in, uh, in Montreal today, one of my favorite cities. I think it's uh, one, of the, one of the most interesting places uh, if you like cities. And I'm a city guy, so I do. Uh, Frank, you know, you guys have started producing gold now. Can you tell our listeners uh give us a progress report how much gold have you produced so far and and more or less what is it costing you to produce at this stage at this early stage, realizing that early on in in production it's usually a lot higher than it is as you get your full you know get into full level of production
7: so we're we we're planning on doing a pour a five hundred ounce pour about every uh five to six days and we're sort of uh-huh. we've been on schedule to uh, doing that uh we haven't Some weeks, we actually don't do the pour as the startup to actually fire up the uh, CIP plant and stuff. It is a little bit labor-intensive, and we sort of save it and do it two bars on the second week. Uh, Our first shipment went out on November the 2nd. Uh, We shipped out 60 kilos. Our first pour was September the 15th, and uh, we've been actually sort of shipping out regularly uh, since then. Uh, Cost of production... Pre-feasibility states that we should be uh, slightly in the neighborhood of about uh, $600 uh, an ounce. I think we're sort of on track to uh, to meet those uh, those targets. We haven't sort of completed. A, our first quarter was over November 30th. We haven't seen all what the final numbers are, but I, I think we're pretty much on track.
3: Oh, that's good. I mean, you know, when we first started talking, 600 sounded a lot more expensive than it does now with gold trading, uh, you know, upwards to $1,400, does not it? I mean, it's there's quite a margin in there. Um,
7: well, even if it's you costing should, you six hundred, funny, funny you should say that. Our first, uh, although we shipped November the second, we were actually paid at what the close was on the London fix on November the uh, November the ninth, and that was fourteen twenty two that day. Uh, since then, <laughs> all of the other um, receivables that we have received from Johnson Samantha have all been in excess of fourteen hundred dollars an ounce.
3: Wow. So uh, this, is, this is what is, of course, driving this industry, but it's not just that, as I've been pointing out to my listeners and to my subscribers, that we're seeing the real price of gold go up relative to the cost of getting it out of the ground. That's really what it's all about, isn't it, Frank, ultimately, is you, you need to make a profit. So co- you, co- you are.
7: Costs are fixed. Costs are fixed. The price of gold going up is awesome.
3: Yeah, the costs are pretty much fixed, are they? Uh, I mean, you could have some labor costs, I suppose, that could rise if, if things get really tight in the industry. Uh, energy costs, though, don't you have some energy costs that could, could vary somewhat if, if oil prices go up a lot?
7: Well, we're actually, where we are, we're pretty good. In the, in, we don't deal with uh, with gensets. We've actually are, uh, brought in three-phase power. It was brought in by the previous owner. So we have three-phase power right to the site. Uh, the only thing uh-huh. that fuel is used for is for just moving vehicles around.
3: All right. So you're expecting to how much gold do you expect to produce on an annual basis? Let's say next year, 2011, when it's a full year. You just started producing, as you said, back in September. What do you expect to produce for the full year in 2011?
7: Um, well, we've done calendar to calendar, uh, September to September. Our targets, fifty thousand ounces, and that'll mm-hmm. be from both locations. That'll be from the QR facility and the yet to be permitted, the Bonanza Ledge uh, uh, portion of the property which is in the uh, the permitting process right now, and we're expecting to actually be able to put some news out uh, in the very near future on that
3: okay so it'd be easy enough for investors to sort of get their head around what you might produce you've got as i said a little earlier sixty three point six million shares of stock outstanding if you're able to produce fifty thousand ounces and if you're able to do it at six hundred dollars cash cost uh... the listeners can put the little simple mathematics and figure out more or less what your cash flow your operating cash flow might be relative to the share price and and uh, frank it strikes me as though those shares are a little bit on the low side compared to that what do you think your your share price, um, you know, let's let's say you're able to to produce as you're projecting. What do you think the upside might be for your share price? Looking at your peers,
7: well, if you look, the, the peer group and and there's 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 quite a few of them out there. Their their uh, ounces in the ground are worth anywhere from I'm going to suggest three hundred dollars an ounce and and up. I think are if you took the market capitalization of the company based on our. Forty-three one hundred one compliant ounces. We're sort of sitting somewhere about a hundred dollars an ounce in the ground. Wow! Um, so there's uh, there's a, a lot of a lot of room for lift there. There's no doubt about it.
3: Um, okay, so you recently acquired a mill in British Columbia. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? What's the capacity of that mill, and how does that fit into your longer term plans?
7: Well- well, it's actually our second mill, our first mill right now, the right. QR mill, is a fully permitted mill. It's a 900-ton-a-day facility capable of doing 70,000 ounces at that location. The second mill, the Goldstream mill that we just acquired and uh, that was approved by the exchange uh, about two or three weeks ago, uh that's currently a 1,360-ton-a-day facility, which we are going to upgrade to 2,000 tons a day. And mm. we're in the process of permitting uh, an additional cow mount and then from that location, uh, we expect to be able to do 2,000 tons, and we're hoping the grade will be well, it'll be in excess of a couple of grams. The current resource is about uh, two grams, and just sitting uh, a little bit north of half a million ounces at that location.
3: Well, that's is that is that an open pit facility?
7: Yes, an everything's. Open old, what we're do, Well, actually, we're underground right now at the QR. We will be open pit at uh, Bonanza Ledge, and we'll be open pit on Cow Mountain.
3: And do you expect your cost, your overall cost of production, to be more or less $600 as you expand and go uh, increase production, or do you expect that to come down? And as you do some open pit mining, it,
7: it should certainly come down. And the reason being is that the trucking cost will be an awful lot less as the second mill is really quite close to the location of where we'll be doing the milling. It's right mm-hmm. in the town of Wells in central British Columbia.
3: Okay, Frank, now you said 50,000 ounces is what you're expecting, planning to produce in 2011. Going forward, what do you expect to produce?
7: Well, if if all goes well in getting uh, Cow Mountain uh, permitted, uh, the hope of the company is to be in excess of 100,000 ounce a year producer. We haven't actually done final numbers on it yet, but I'm going to suggest uh, the second facility will be capable of doing north of uh, of 50,000 ounces a year as well. Um, so, collectively, the two facilities going simultaneously and having all three facilities working, that would be the Bonanza Ledge, the Cow Mountain facility, as well as the QR facility, um, will be, should be north of 100,000 ounces.
3: You, uh, of, course, uh, of course, that is over the next couple of years we're talking about, two, three years that's, out, right?
7: That, that's, that's correct
3: okay so what i find really attractive one of the things that i find really attractive is the massive what i think is massive exploration potential that you have Uh, frank you have consolidated a whole district up there it was fragmented into a lot of different ownerships and one of the things you did when the market was was poor when there was not a lot of interest in gold mining is you you consolidated that whole market you have a whole district up there uh, can you give our listeners in the last minute or two that we have here, if you could just talk a little bit about the exploration potential you have on that property? Just talk a little bit about that. Well,
7: certainly. Well, over the last 16 years, we've acquired a property that's some uh, 60 kilometers long by 20 kilometers wide. Um, it's had seven former producing mines on it, and we're really only working about 10% of the property. So. The, in, in terms of what you'd mentioned earlier and growing organically, uh, the company doesn't really have to go and look at other projects or other properties. Uh, there's an awful lot of uh, area on our own property that, uh, that has been yet to be explored.
3: Okay, that's, uh, I think that's really, really interesting. Uh, and again, it's one of the things that I thought as a, as a long term. Uh, investor that I found very appealing about about your story, Frank. You have uh, some money in the bank now, and and if so, how much and how far will that take you going forward? Uh,
7: we've just we've actually just closed a financing. Uh, just we're sitting with probably in the neighborhood of uh, north of uh, five million, but six million dollars in the bank, mm-hmm. and the company's just been the most exciting thing is we are just permitted by the government of British Columbia and Mines Branch to actually drill some uh, 1,300 drill holes over the next three years. Um, for a total of somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, three, about 400,000 uh, meters of drilling have been permitted to drill. So we expect okay. to be spending about $10 million a year.
3: Okay, Frank, that's really great. Uh, your website, tell our listeners.
7: Yeah, it's uh, www.barkervillegold.com. That's on uh, BGM, that's Big Gold Mine is the symbol. Um, so have a look, folks.
3: Okay, great. Thank you so much, Frank, for coming on Thank again. You, we, we're talking to you again in the near future. Folks, don't go away because we're going to be right up with, I think, one of the most exciting, one of the most interesting, one of the most important interviews that I've done since we started this show back in March of 2009. John Luftus, the author of America's uh, Nazi Secret, will be right with us. So don't go away. We'll be right back.
4: Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy op- Opportunity
6: pass by. As regular listeners to this show know, I am very bullish on gold and especially gold mining stocks. One of my favorite gold mining companies is Metanor Resources Traded Toronto and the Pink Sheets. This is a new gold producer. It is using cash flows from its Berry Mine in Quebec to finance growth of that mine and to put the world famous Quebec Bachelor Lake Mine back into production. This stock has been recommended by my newsletter because I do believe it holds extraordinary upside price potential with relatively low levels of risk. Visit Metanor's website at Metanor.ca or subscribe to my newsletter for more information
0: the high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Millrock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Millrock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Peck, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Altius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Rock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO.
2: Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its gold fields project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD.
8: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
1: Try not to try too hard. It's just a lovely ride
2: listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program.
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Well, our main guest is John Loftus. He's the author of a new, just-released book titled America's Nazi Secret. As a former Justice Department prosecutor, John Loftus once held some of the highest security clearances in the world, with special access to NATO cosmic CIA code word the top secret nuclear files. As a private attorney, he works without charge to help hundreds of intelligence agents obtain lawful permission to declassify and publish the hidden secrets of our times. He is the author of four history books, three of which have been made into films, two were international bestsellers, and one was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize. John Loftus is the intelligence analyst for the Fox News Channel. His program can be seen every Sunday at eleven fifteen a.m. Eastern Time. John John's News Show, Loftus Report on Talking Communications Network. Mr. Loftus is also president of the Intelligence Summit, an international nonprofit, nonpartisan educational forum for the intelligence agencies of the free world, and vice chairman of the Florida Holocaust Museum. Welcome, John, to turning hard times into good times.
9: Well, thank you. Actually, I've changed. Uh some of the media stuff around, I'm now working with John Bachelor on ABC National Radio out of oh, okay. in New York, and I'm not doing the Fox show now. I'm okay. working on a film called American Secrets, and we hope to have it hit movie theaters uh, early next year.
3: Wow, that's uh, that would be very interesting. Well, it You're certainly will be interesting. Rally. It's
9: about the American families that funded Hitler.
3: Well, uh, I, I, that is a topic that I want to get into, one that I really want to explore also uh, because I found it just absolutely fascinating uh, is a topic on, um, uh, on gold, actually, and silver. And um, I would like to just read this to, uh, this is a, a bit of a passage from the Publishers Forum of your book, *The America's Nazi Secret. I want to read this to, because uh, I want our listeners to hear this, and then I want you to comment on it. Uh, and I'm quoting uh, John uh, here in your Publishers Forward. It says, but the whole concept of controlled news was beyond me. It just wouldn't compute in my teenage brain Well, now I'm past 60 and absolutely amazed at what goes on in our beloved country. The levels of corruption and the method of manipulation are outrageous. We are getting played left, right, and center. Over 40 years of research can be crystallized to reveal the means of hidden control, a leviathan of three levels with the three parts to each level. The top level is mining, metals, and money. This operation, which includes all our major mineral resources, but especially the metals gold and silver, used in wealth quantification, is held very tight to the vest, and its true dimensions, methods, and transactions do not garner much discussion because they are seldom exposed. It holds the reins to all the rest. End of quote. Now, John, I want to get on to the other two levels, but I'd like you to qu- just to comment a little bit on how is gold and silver so important in terms of controlling uh, our system the, by the powers behind the throne.
9: Well, especially before World War II, gold and silver were the preferred international currency, particularly for, uh, shall we say, covert investment. For example, mm-hmm. it was illegal for Americans to have gold transactions with the early Bolshevik party. Uh, that didn't stop the Harrimans. Harrimans, by the way, are, are Democrats. I pick on both sides. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And... uh The Harrimans made huge gold loans to the Bolshevik party, and uh, the idea was that they were working to set up a cartel, a monopoly, a trust, a sort of a safe haven away from American court jurisdiction. The goal was necessary to secure that. Our State Department opened an investigation into the Harriman gold loans to the Bolsheviks, but it was all quietly squelched. So the world of gold transfers is hidden away from the rest of us. Now, their Mm -hmm. partners in crime, um, the Harrimans were partners with uh, the Walker and Brown Brothers Harriman. and The Brown Brothers were a British firm brought in by Herbert Walker, who was Mm -hmm. the father-in-law of Prescott Bush. And the Bush family was heavily, heavily involved. Now, their gold loans went through their lawyer, Alan Dulles, and it was called the Dawes Plan. Where the Wall Street robber barons loaned gold to uh, Germany between the wars to pay off their World War I war debts, mm-hmm. and they made a nice little profit on it. Well, at least until Hitler came to power and forbid the mm-hmm. repatriation of payments back mm-hmm. to Western mm-hmm. creditors. So uh, there were, you know, the gold was used to secure major secret investments of the uh, the corporations in the Third Reich. The German so, currency gold- was worthless, but the German mm-hmm. corporate patents were priceless.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they were then used, I guess, and acquired by this by this ruling elite that had the gold, and they were able to use gold to acquire that.
9: Yeah, I mean, the idea was that uh, the under President Teddy Roosevelt, the robber barons, weren't allowed to have monopolies, trusts, and cartels in America, so they mm-hmm. passed a loophole law in 1918 to let them set up cartels overseas. And you know, the, the first country they went to was Germany. And uh, Halmar Schacht, Hitler's finance minister, was born in Brooklyn. And, you know, the American investors thought that Hitler was just a, you know, a dog on a chain. He would keep the labor unions down and the communists at bay. He'd do what he was told. Mm-hmm. But instead, uh, Hitler broke the chain. And the first thing he did upon becoming chancellor was to ban foreign ownership of German companies. That's why the people that had loaned all the gold and silver to Germany bought the stock of the Swiss banks, which owned the stock of the German banks, which owned the stock of the German companies, which owned all the valuable patents. And that was the security for the gold and loan transfers. And proof that this took place is very simple. Within five years after World War II, 95% of the world's gold supply was
3: moved to the United States. 95% of the world's gold supply was moved to the United States not necessarily owned by the US but but was held by private in investors custody.
9: yeah for the most yeah,
3: part yeah by private I mean investors. it was
9: no secret there were bars of gold in the New York uh, reserve vaults with the uh, yeah. the Nazi swastika and eagle on them mhm mhm
3: so gold could be used then as a covert means of, of bringing about illicit activities of of funding uh, illicit activities that if you did, did it, in, it through the banking system would have been would have been seen more, more sure. quickly more easily. Except
9: some of the gold itself was illicit. The Germans were melting down uh, gold fillings taken mm-hmm. from the Jewish victims at uh, Auschwitz and other places, and mm-hmm. melting them down into bullion and treating mm-hmm. them as currency bars mm-hmm. to keep uh, the German currency afloat. So some of the gold in itself should never have been tracked, trafficked after the war. Uh, The so-called victim gold was supposed to be used to help the survivors of the Holocaust. Instead, it was stolen by the corporate investors. Mm.
3: Well, uh, do do you think anything is going on now still with gold and silver in terms of uh, uh, the sort of ruling elite using it to manipulate things?
9: Well, I think at this point, um, the multinational corporations are much larger than just gold or or silver. they they, Mm -hmm. uh, have a cartel involving oil prices, for example, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. is you know that's the, the, today's modern gold, and mm-hmm. uh, you know paper and electronic currency have to a certain extent replaced the physical movement of gold bullion bars from one bank vault to another in the in the Federal Reserve's. Sure, but uh, the power that came from these gold transactions before the war is what fueled and perpetuated the climb of the multinational corporations to power in the post-war era. Their Mm -hmm. roots were gold.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, that's very interesting. Now, uh, you do mention in this top level of mining metals and money uh, that commodities in general have been used. So, you just touched on oil uh, and and other resources. We had a very interesting person on this show in the past, John Perkins, uh, who wrote a book called "Confessions of an Economic Hitman." And John talked about how p- part of the policy of the uh, of the New World Order, essentially following World War II, was to set up or was to have the World Bank and the uh, and the IMF fund third world countries with the goal of getting them so far into debt that they had to exchange their raw materials to these large corporate interests, uh, you know, at, at low prices, and they profited very significantly from it. But yes, I think I
9: that's—I agree with uh, most of his analysis. He's right on target. That uh, you know, the loans that we made to these foreign countries were really a way to take them over. You know, they yeah, they could possibly repay them.
3: Well, that's, and I would uh, argue also that the same thing may uh, is being done to the American public in large. And we had Catherine Austin Fitz, a very interesting lady, on this show too, who I think really paralleled the work of John uh, Perkins in many ways, but on the domestic side. Whereas Americans are now impoverished with so much debt, uh, and then people have to give up their liberties and freedom as a result of that indebtedness. Do you agree with that?
9: Well, I wouldn't go quite that far. My expertise is in the history of the intelligence communities. And so I come to the gold, silver, and financial issues from a peripheral sense. But it okay. is true that what happened is that the multinational corporations found out that they couldn't buy the U.S. government, but they could rent the Justice Department. Ah. Uh, okay? Yes. and, and uh, Once you control the Justice Department, then everything was legal.
3: Everything could be made legal. Yep. And you, uh, you had some experience in the Justice Department.
9: Yes, uh, I worked uh, for four years at justice at the headquarters in Washington. Started off as a, an honors program law clerk for the Attorney General and doing cases in the federal appellate courts and the Supreme Court. And then I worked with the Office of Special Investigations. And mm. So I had some experience uh, with CIA cases and Nazi war crimes cases. Until one day I found that many of the Nazis had been assigned to prosecute or on the CIA payroll. But the CIA didn't know there were Nazis. <laughs> See, there were two CIAs. Remember when Dewey beat Truman, at least that's mm-hmm. what the headline said? Well, yes. Well, Dewey's campaign manager was Alan Dulles, the same uh-huh. corporate lawyer for all the robber barons that had done all the gold transfers into Nazi Germany. And Dulles believed that Dewey was going to appoint him the first head of the CIA, so Dulles had already started hiring his staff. In order to conceal his client's financial involvement with Nazi Germany, Dulles' mm-hmm. plan was to throw a cloud of national security around surround the whole issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he was going to recruit uh, Nazi intelligence officers as his agents in the Cold War. Well, Truman got elected, so all of a sudden we had two CIAs. One that worked for President Truman, the Democrats, and the other one that worked for the State Department, the Justice Department, and mostly they worked for the Republicans and Alan Dulles. Now, Uh the real CIA just collected intelligence. They thought that was their job. The Uh other CIA, whose name was Office of Policy Coordination, uh, they ran paramilitary programs, assassination campaigns, psychological warfare, all the dirty, covert stuff.
3: Mm. Yeah, that's uh, that's, that's uh, it's it's uh, quite incredible. Uh well, I'd like to go to the other two sections you talk about, or the other two layers. Uh the middle section of control you talk about being uh, drugs, guns and oil. Could you comment on that for just a minute?
9: Well, I think the uh, people don't know it but, you know, uh, the guns and oil equation for example. Uh mm-hmm. in addition to funding the infant Nazi party and the infant Bolshevik party, they funded a group of Arab terrorists called the Muslim Brotherhood, the Ikhwan al-Muslimin. And they armed them, and these guys literally uh, took away the British puppets in Saudi in Arabia and made Saudi Arabia. They, they were the leaders of the House of Saud. So this armed coup uh, had a price. The Saudis, as soon as they came in power, immediately signed a deal with Aramco, the Arab American oil company. And that's how mm-hmm. the American... Well, companies got their nose on the Arabian Peninsula with guns. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a small example of a larger
3: scheme. A larger scheme. Uh, and the third, uh, l- the lower level, you talk about as being the media, movies, and magic. C- tell us about that.
9: Well, so much of what you've been told is flat-out lies. For example, uh, in the issue of you know, Nazi war criminals, America, you know, Jewish Holocaust survivors American. America, Uh, World War II veterans would never believe that such a thing would happen. And I made these incredible charges in 60 minutes and turned over the files and, you know, caused a bit of an uproar. Congress demanded hearings. Mike Wallace got the Emmy Award. My family got the death threats. But finally, we had congressional hearings in 1985. And behind my back, the Justice Department fixed it. Um, They banned the media from the hearings. They banned a secret session and warned me if I testified about classified files in public, I would be imprisoned and disbarred. So mm-hmm. what they did at the same time was they lied to Congress about the identities of the Nazi war criminals and described them as anti-Nazi resistance leaders who were helping us fight against the communists. And the media bought the story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, uh, it was a PR campaign to pass off the Eastern European fascist groups as freedom fighters. And uh, huh. Ronald Reagan, for example, a young movie actor, had a newsreel of him that they gave to 60 Minutes showing Reagan raising money for an OPC front group that paid Nazis. And not many people know that Reagan was also a professional intelligence advisor for Nelson Rockefeller. and Rockefeller huh. appointed Reagan to his intelligence review board in their attempt to head off the Church Commission's probe into misdeeds by the intelligence services.
3: Hmm. Very interesting. Uh, we had these freedom fighters in Afghanistan during Reagan's time, no? Are these the, are the, are these the same people you're talking about? Uh,
9: absolutely. Sure? See, one of the things we hired, the Arab Nazis, these really genuine World War II Nazis. Hitler loved them. They loved him. The British tried to use the Arab Nazis to crush the infant state of Israel. Alan Dulles and the Eisenhower administration kept the Arab Nazis on the payroll as a proxy army to fight the Arab communists during the Cold War. Well, Vice President Bush took the old Arab Nazis out of the closet one last time in the 1980s, and they used them to recruit the Mujahideen, the freedom fighters in Afghanistan. And guys mm-hmm. like Osama bin Laden were actually tutored by genuine World War II Nazi propagandists. Mm. Uh, you know, it's a, an incredible story. I mean, yet a perfect. Uh, the Saudis became host uh, to the, the Nazi movement, the Muslim Brotherhood, after Nasser and the secularists came to power in Egypt. And mm. The Saudis made them school teachers. It was a perfect storm of Nazi racism and Saudi religious bigotry. And hmm. so people like Osama bin Laden were inevitable. And the sad thing is the whole history of 9-11 and the Muslim Brotherhood's role in the United States has been covered up from Congress. So.
3: Well, when you when you talk about the obstruction of uh, of justice or the obstruction, uh, obstruction of Congress from getting to the bottom of these things, and you use the word they, you're talking about the Justice Department that is controlled by these forces behind the scenes. Is that it?
9: Yeah, I think that there's always been this revolving door between the lawyers at Justice Department and the lawyers on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. It's a very convenient arrangement, uh, and yeah. it, uh, you know, it's been going on for a long, long time.
3: Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, what does the America's uh, Nazi secret uh, have? I mean, initially you wrote uh, the Valeris the report. What does the America's Nazi secret tell us over and beyond what was in the bolaris report
9: well all the things that were censored out of the Belarus secret 30 years ago are in america's nazi secret the fact that the vatican was the one that moved the money and the gold and the nazi war criminals themselves after world war ii that was all censored out of the first book um the movement of nazi gold was something i had been involved with that we tried to have a lawsuit against the vatican for laundering gold stolen from jewish victims and to get repatriated but uh... The U.S. government intervened, and they threw that lawsuit out.
3: Wow. Um, it's
9: one example of many things that were censored out of my book.
3: Well, there, there are but some... But now uh, I,
9: they're I, in trouble, Jay, because the censorship only proves the truth of what I'm saying. Thirty mm. years later, the time barriers expired, and now all this stuff is coming out, and it's terribly, terribly embarrassing. Some of these guys are still alive, and they could go to prison.
3: You uh, had mentioned a moment ago that you you and your family had received death threats. Are you worried about that still?
9: No, I mean, my daughter's grown up and moved away from where we live. But my wife and I decided a long time ago that we're not going to be afraid or intimidated by these people. Mm-hmm. We're just stubborn enough to hang in there and keep fighting. Mm-hmm. And uh, time was on our side. We lived long enough to be able to expose this whole thing. It's funny, though. My new book, America's Nazi Secret, came out on Veterans Day in November. Three days later, the Justice Department released a carefully prepared 600-page report to the New York Times. And we admitted, oh, yeah, well, maybe we did hide a few Nazis, and maybe we lied about it a little bit. So they were pleading to the misdemeanor uh, sort of to avoid the felony charges that I raised in the book. Mm -hmm. So it was the spin program. That's how afraid they are of a little Mm -hmm. book like this coming out because it shows the truth about how Congress was simply lied to about the 9-11 investigations, lied to about the Nazi money. Um, for example, uh, how many people know that uh, Prescott Bush was involved with the Auschwitz factory?
10: No, not too many. Built,
9: built as an industrial park. He was the head of the Silesian American Coal Company, and they mined the coal with Slave labor It was sold to Auschwitz to be transformed into you know fuel additives for aviation fuel. And his partner, Harriman, again, the Democrat, ran this firm. Now, Harriman always claimed, oh, no, we got out of it as soon as the Nazis took over. That's not true. In the film that we have coming out, uh, American Secrets, we show the proxy documents that Harriman's secretary found where he voted and controlled the company all during the war. So some of America's finest families have a lot of blood in their hands
3: hmm Well, you, you mentioned a couple of them, uh, Bush, Hamilton, I think you're, or uh, uh, Herring, Herringman. Herringman, yep. Herringman, um, and uh, um, everybody who knows that
9: Joe Kennedy bought Nazi stocks, but what most people don't know is he bought them from Prescott Bush, that they went over on a ship together to Germany before the war. The, uh-huh. uh, of course, the Dulles brothers, the Walkers, the DuPonts, the Rockefellers, there were some amazing families that... Uh, just had incredible control of vast sums of money.
3: You used the word had. What about the present tense?
9: Well, I was able to find as late as the early 70s that the Chase Manhattan Bank secretly owned 38% of the Thyssen-Krupp conglomerate in Europe, and it's Europe's wealthiest conglomerate. Both Mm -hmm. Thyssen and Krupp were convicted Nazi war criminals, and both, Mm -hmm. of course, were, you know. Mm-hmm. quickly released at the request of the Justice Department. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if you if go in most elevators in America, and you look at the little wall panel, the elevator was made by mm-hmm. Uh But those were the, the Bush clients. Prescott Bush sat on the board of a New York bank that laundered money for the Nazi bank in Berlin, the, the Thyssen Bank. And they had another bank set up in the Netherlands. And so no matter which side won World War II, uh, whoever was the neutral bank would come out and say, oh, we secretly own all these companies. Uh, we're the neutral good guys. Give us our money back. Mm-hmm. And indeed, that's how the money came back. That's why 95% of the gold post-war ended up in the U.S. U.S. Mm.
3: You mentioned also uh, the funding of Stalin. Can you talk a little bit about that?
9: Yeah, the, the Harriman gold loan to the Bolsheviks was really to stabilize the Bolshevik government. And part of the deal was, that the tsar's art treasures of the hermitage a lot of them were taken and given to the tisson family so the tisson family and built has still runs this huge art museum in spain one of the finest in the world and they don't know that that was how stalin and lenin repaid the gold loans from wall street <laughs>
3: Okay, uh that's what about then uh, that, that's incredible. I mean it just it really is and I think it is this is probably news that is shocking to many people but let me ask you then we have this uh, this Islamic fascist element that you're talking about. They uh they are funded by these same interests. How are they how are they being funded?
9: Well, for example, Aramco, the Arab American oil company. They funded the Saudi version of the Muslim Brotherhood, and then the Saudis were smart enough to boot them out. They went to Egypt. Um, a young Egyptian named Hassan al Banna created the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. Uh, he was Hitler's favorite Nazi. They worked for German intelligence all during the war, but were never prosecuted as war criminals. Now, the Muslim Brotherhood then went on the British intelligence payroll and then on the CIA's payroll, but the CIA didn't know it. It was one of those covert operations. Vice President Bush really ran the operation out of his hip pocket. So in U.S. taxpayers' dollars, were going to support these organizations, and still do. The U.S. government is the only Western nation that does not declare the Muslim Brotherhood as a terrorist group. Hmm. Even the Arab states do that. And we're still spending your taxpayers' dollars on State Department studies to justify the Muslim Brotherhood as a moderate group that uh. could... Uh, you know help us as a proxy army to fight the shiites in iran it was nonsense then it's nonsense now
3: and they're uh, so why so so the reason is uh, i'm trying to understand why the us is the only country that hasn't declared these guys as as being bad guys well
9: um because during the eisenhower administration we brought the leaders of the muslim brotherhood into america and uh, then we use them to recruit the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, and the State Department and the Justice Department don't admit that they had their own little foreign policy that neither the Democrats or Congress knew anything about.
3: Mm. Oh, it's, 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 in, it's pretty incredible.
9: Yeah, well, um, we We're talking about genuine World War II Arab Nazis went would not include a, a younger second-generation group of kids. Uh, that would become the new terrorist, the second generation of the Nazi party, if you will. When you think about it, the Nazi ideology and the Al-Qaeda ideology are pretty similar. They're against mm-hmm. Jews, democracy, Western culture, America, Christians. You know, they're, they're pretty similar. Mm-hmm.
3: So it fits pretty well for them. Yeah,
9: it was a good match.
3: Um, so... So we have this this situation where uh, you know we've had 9/11 occur, and I want to we're going to be going to break in just a couple of minutes, but maybe you can talk a little bit about um, the role these people played in 9/11. If I if I gather what you're suggesting is that the 9/11 Commission probably was deceived, deceived oh, by whom? Yeah.
9: Just, they have just, no just, idea that Al Qaeda had a huge support network in America run by the Muslim Brotherhood. So at the same time the Muslim Brotherhood is working for the State Department and being protected by the Justice Department, they're actually helping al-Qaeda plan the 9-11 attack. In fact, one of the guys in Florida opened up his own little bank called the Baraka Bank, and it appears that's how the Baraka paychecks from the Middle East were used to pay for the flight school for the 9-11 bombers. And suspicions were heightened when that little bank closed one week after 9-11. And uh, so I've had a private investigator. We've been tracking the members of this Muslim Brotherhood group, and they're absolutely appalling. Several now have been uh, convicted as supporters of terrorism.
3: Hmm. So um, we've got about a minute before break here. But do you? So you, you really believe that nine eleven then was an inside job that we were hit? Uh, oh no, by... we didn't
9: know it was going to happen. It's a little more yeah. complicated than that. Uh-huh. Um, the uh, the deal was. President Clinton had banned negotiations with the Taliban because of their support for terrorism. And that terrified Enron. Enron had taken virtually every cent that they could beg, borrow, or steal. And they bought the oil exploration rights in the border countries north of Afghanistan. The only way to get the oil out of the Caspian Basin was to build oil pipelines across afghanistan that meant bribing the taliban and that's what enron did said you you can have across a carpet of gold or a carpet of bombs unfortunately the taliban chose the carpet of bombs they turned the information over to al-qaeda and you know we got their response on 9-11 the enron negotiations with vice president cheney are still classified but uh, you can you can see some of the peripheral documents have come out they talk about the caspian basin as being the new Alaska, one-eighth of the world's future oil supplies. Mm-hmm. Enron wanted it real bad, even if it meant negotiating with terrorists like the Taliban. But there's no surprise. They'd done it before, hadn't they, with Hitler and
3: Stalin, and even mm-hmm. so. Interesting interesting the the powers behind the throne you know uh we have to go to commercial break right now and when we come back i want to ask you more about uh, i want to delve in a little bit more into this 911 issue i want to also get your sense of, of some of these powers behind the throne where their allegiance is and so forth so uh we'll be right back uh with uh, we'll be right back as soon as the commercial break is over don't go away we'll be right back with john leftus
0: the high risk but high reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Millrock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Millrock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Peck, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross and Eldius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits To help secure America's productive future, investors can share in the potential rewards. Millrock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol M-R-O.
5: American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity.
0: Revolution Resources Corp. is a publicly trading exploration company that trades under the symbol RV on the TSX Exchange. Led by an experienced management team with a track record for discoveries, Revolution has initiated drilling on the company's newly acquired Champion Hills Gold Project in North Carolina. Revolution is focused on making a world-class discovery in an established gold belt, and with over $5 million in the treasury, Revolution is effectively positioned to do so. Please visit www.revolutionresourcescorp.com for further
4: information. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy Opportunity pass by.
6: As regular listeners to this show know, I am very bullish on gold and especially gold mining stocks. One of my favorite gold mining companies is Metanor Resources Traded Toronto and the Pink Sheets. This is a new gold producer. It is using cash flows from its berry mine in Quebec to finance growth of that mine and to put the world famous Quebec Bachelor Lake mine back into production. This stock has been recommended by my newsletter because I do believe it holds extraordinary upside price potential with relatively low levels of risk. Visit Metanor's website at metanor.ca or subscribe to my newsletter for more information.
8: The business community's first choice in internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Try not
1: to try too hard. It's just a lovely ride
2: Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program.
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into the Good Times. This is the second hour of today's show, and again, I want to thank each of you for listening to the show and making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors for the second hour of today's show. They are Barkerville Gold, Crocodile Gold, Coral Gold, North Atlantic Resources, Adventure Gold, Brigas Gold Corp., Gold bullion development, golden minerals, and our resources. Well we're back here with John loftus and some of the most fascinating uh information I think that I've heard or seen uh, and talked about on this show for sure. And we've had a lot of very other interesting guests. But at the break, John, we were talking a little bit about the nine eleven and I asked you if you thought it was an inside job and your your sense is that it was not. Can you no, no,
9: I think what happened is as with most of these things it was ninety percent stupidity, ten percent conspiracy. The you know, the Dallas brothers had conspired to destroy a centralized intelligence service in America. They had to hide their corporate clients' misdeeds, you know, with the Third Reich. So they split the U.S. intelligence into twenty-two component parts. Now we still have fourteen parts. It's a little bit better, but not much. In order to share agency information from one agency to another, intelligence or information has to go up stovepipe all the way up to the top of the chain of command and then down through another chain of command, the other agency. You can't just send the file to the guy down the hall who works for a different agency. And so it guarantees that information won't be shared. So in that sense, 9-11 was both predictable and inevitable. We actually had one section of the FBI in New York that was told by cia that al-qaeda terrorists were coming to america but they never shared it with the other branch of the fbi that were meeting with the al-qaeda terrorists in california so uh... it was pretty much uh... sheer stupidity we had these corporate crooks who were dealing with the taliban illegally goading al-qaeda into uh... you know a revenge strike because that's what it was you know the oil companies and the energy companies were saying, look, just give us Osama bin Laden and we'll, you know, we'll do a deal with you guys. We'll make you rich. Um, and, of course, the Taliban stayed more loyal to al-Qaeda. Uh, and it was a complete disaster because there the Justice Department and state were up to their eyeballs with this Muslim Brotherhood network in the U.S. that turns out to be the al-Qaeda logistical network. It's not surprising the Muslim Brotherhood, the old Nazi Arab Nazi group of World War II, is the sponsoring parent organization for virtually every Sunni terrorist group. Hamas still gives the old nazi salute, for example. Um, The Palestinian Islamic Jihad, Egyptian Islamic Jihad, and on and on and on. So it's an old corporate scandal that grew into an international nightmare. But nobody warned the CIA, nobody warned Congress that this disaster was coming. Did some people in the corporate world have an idea? I kind of doubt it. I think that this stuff really isn't about conspiracy. These guys don't like the Taliban. They didn't like the communists. They didn't like the Nazis. It was all about the money. It was never about the ideology. They just wanted to make a profit, as much profit, as fast as possible. So we had a bunch of sharks swimming in parallel lines, not because they were in you know, concerted conspiracy but just because they were all racing to to
3: smell the blood in the water. If if we go to uh, the the question goes back to this this issue of um, a propaganda the
9: insider involvement. Do you mean? Or?
3: Well, I'd like to go back to the issue of propaganda. You mentioned that you were previously on Fox TV. Now you're on radio ABC radio a radio show. I believe you said when yeah. we introduced you yeah, was John Bachelor. we had done a show with him for years
9: and years, and I got involved with this documentary. Okay. And uh, I, we, there's been so much propaganda, I felt we needed to cut through it. So yeah. one you know, of the purposes of the film was, we're, for the first time, we're going to have a website mm-hmm. with, with all of the newly declassified documents that prove each point of the documentary. So um, it's kind of okay. evidence
3: that is hard to refute. Okay, Um so uh, we had a, a guest on this show some weeks ago named Dmitry, well, quite a few, maybe some months ago, named Dmitry Orlov. He's written a book called Reinventing Collapse, and he's, he has, uh, well, without spending too much time, because we're running out of time all too fast, he talked about the, the American propaganda machine being far superior to anything that the Soviet Union had. Would you, what are your thoughts on that?
9: No, not really. The Soviets are superb in intelligence Disinformation, propaganda, and there is no second place. There's so the old Russian intelligence apparatus, much of which still exists, is just the
3: best in the world. Um, well, we yeah. and, and we don't we don't even come close. Well, what about the these corporate um, interests behind uh, behind the money behind the throne that we've been talking about? Do they not also have a lot of interest in the uh, in the media as well?
9: Well, very much so. I mean, look at uh, you know, sixty minutes. Uh, you know, they were absolutely were intimidated by the tobacco companies yeah. into, into obliterating one of their reports. yeah, shameful, but it did happen.. Yeah. Um, I once did uh, a documentary up in Canada where the Pope was visiting Canada, and we filmed the dedication of the new cathedral with all the Nazi war criminals sitting in the audience. And uh, Richard Nixon's business partner happened to, partner had to be a Canadian Slovakian. And he threatened to sue the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation if they ever aired the film. Even though it was true, he would just bury them in litigation costs. And to their shame, the Canadians never ran it. If you have enough money, you can buy silence.
3: To what extent do you think that is going on now with respect to American foreign policy um, and, well, with respect to America's policy overseas uh, and the American voters? To what extent are, are we being hoodwinked?
9: Oh, I I don't think much anymore. I think that, uh, you know, as the WikiLeaks stuff proved, that really what you see in the classified cables is pretty much what you see in the newspapers and the government briefings. They just avoid, you know, giving people's names to prevent embarrassment. Uh, You know, I've spent 30 years trying to follow the rules for declassification properly. Then WikiLeaks comes along and just, they've done, I think, are beginning to do a great deal of harm as of yesterday, that first leaked story on um, sensitive sites around the world as potential bombing targets, I thought was just deplorable. And I guess he's threatening, on top of the 1,000 pages he's already released, to release all quarter of a million uh, stolen documents if he's ever prosecuted. So. Yeah. I so suspect that's his get-out-of-jail-free card.
3: Yeah, so, so you see him as incredibly harmful.
9: Well, I didn't at first. I thought it was much ado about nothing, to be honest. But now, when I see documents of that caliber coming out, mm-hmm. I mean, if you identify the precise spot in Russia where there's a, you know, it, uh, an oil gas pipeline connection, you blow that up. That's a wonderful terrorist target that would really sure hit world oil prices and things like anti
3: venom factories and uh, vaccine factories. Wow. Uh, you know. Well, yeah. I haven't honestly haven't paid that much attention to it yet, but it, it does sound uh, it sounds very uh, you know very: yeah, at, at
9: first, I was a little upset when he was leaking information about uh, in the, that you could identify the names of people in Afghanistan that were helping the NATO forces hunt for the Taliban. So basically, you know, uh, they painted a bull'seye on the heads of all the informants on
3: the Taliban. And, you know, I think sooner or later, that's a virtual death sentence for a lot of these people. Yeah. Well, a very fascinating, very fascinating discussion we've had with you, John. I wish we had more time. We are, unfortunately, out of time. But I'd like you to tell our listeners before we uh, conclude our discussion for this time, if you could just tell them where they can follow your work. You mentioned you're going to have a website. Is there a website or someplace now that yeah, people can follow what you're doing? I have a small one
9: up. It's the johnloftusreport.com. Uh, and. Um, you'll be seeing a lot of things coming out. Right now, the website I want you to go to is Amazon.com and buy a copy of America's Nazi Secret. That's
3: where the information is. It's published well, that, by Tronday. Well, thank you very much. I was going to ask you also where to buy the book, so Amazon.com yeah, is the place to and, people-
9: and all the
3: bookstores now are carrying it. Good. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you very much, John, uh, for spending your time explaining to us uh, this very, very interesting a bit of history, America's Nazi secret. Thank you so much. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back uh, after the commercial break uh, with a company that I think you're going to find very interesting. Uh, we're going to be talking to Gold Bullion Development Corporation, a gold mining operation in Quebec. So we'll see you uh, after the break. Don't go away.
5: American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity.
0: The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Millrock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Millrock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Tech, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Eldias, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits. To help secure America's productive future, investors can share in the potential rewards. Rock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO.
6: As regular listeners to this show know, I am very bullish on gold and especially gold mining stocks. One of my favorite gold mining companies is Metanor Resources Traded Toronto and the Pink Sheets. This is a new gold producer. It is using cash flows from its berry mine in Quebec to finance growth of that mine and to put the world famous Quebec Bachelor Lake mine back into production. This stock has been recommended by my newsletter because I do believe it holds extraordinary upside price potential with relatively low levels of risk. Visit Metanor's website at metanor.ca or subscribe to my newsletter for more information
8: voice america business network the bottom line in business
1: try not to try too hard it's just a lovely ride
2: That's questions, the number four, taylor, at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program.
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Frank Bassa. He is the president and CEO of Gold Bullion Development Corporation. Gold Bullion trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol GBB, uh, it's actually in the Toronto Venture Exchange, I believe, uh, under the symbol GBB, and it trades on the over-the-counter market in the U.S. under the symbol GBBFF. There's 147.7 million shares outstanding uh, at a current price of around 71 cents, gives it a market capitalization of just a little over $100 million. Welcome, Frank, uh, to training Hard Times into Good Times.
11: Well, thanks a lot, Jay, to have me back.
3: Good to have you back. You were here only a couple of weeks ago, but... Uh, There are so many exciting things going on with your company. You are in in the middle of a very aggressive drill program, uh, and for good reason because your Phase Two drill program was very uh, was very fruitful. Uh, Your project uh, is uh, is in um, Quebec, of course, in the very famous mining community of Rouen Noranda, and uh, the project is known as the um, the name of the project is the Granada Gold Property. Uh, Could you tell our listeners just a little bit about this property and, um, you know, how you came to discover it? You're getting some really good gold intersections. Could you just talk about it a a bit?
11: Yeah, Jay, what we really originally started was we were looking for something on what we'd call the Cadillac trend. It's kind of a a famous uh, structure. It goes basically through, through about two or three provinces and most of the historic um, discoveries uh, have been on this structure and over the years i think they took out about 160 million ounces along this structure so we thought finding something on uh, you know getting a piece of land on that structure uh, being also the asset we acquired were former producers uh, we're fairly comfortable we find something so originally we started around 71 hectares And as we move forward, and just as a recent, we have up to 11,000 hectares now. Uh, The reason we're doing this, uh, Jay, is, you know, we're stepping up our our drill program in various stages. As you mentioned, uh, you know, we were very excited about our our stage two, so we went to stage three drill program, which is now running at 50,000 meters. Uh, We keep on extending our structure. Originally, we thought it was only about uh, 300 by 600 meters. It appears it could be up to 800 meters long and uh, it could be uh, we have about a six kilometer strike link so we're actually building roads to all these targets and uh, hopefully uh, we'll be looking at these uh, uh at a future date. Uh, so right now what we did was also we came up with what we call a preliminary uh, non-compliant 43101 uh, ounces in the ground of about 2.4 to 2.6 million ounces.
10: Mm-hmm.
11: Uh, these of course are as I indicated are non-compliant And uh, what we're looking for is to see if we can uh, extend that or expand that. And uh, so our drill program, hopefully, uh, going forward into the future, will be able to uh, uh, extend that and expand
3: that. Okay, Frank, let me understand. uh, That is, as you say, a non-compliant. You haven't done enough drilling yet to fill in the spaces to make it compliant, as I understand. Uh, But that number, 2.4 to 2.6, would have been on the basis of your Phase 2 drill program, perhaps, of 25,000 meters.
11: Well, what they did was uh, actually prior to us even being there, the actual property had about 26,000 meters of drilling as well Mm. Mm. prior to us. uh, And then what we did was instead of doing a drill program, we did a very large bulk sample. We did about 140,000-ton bulk sample, uh, 3,000 tons of that went into a mill. The other 110 went into the waste pile. And then we did a metallurgical balance, and we had a grade of about Mm. 1.62 that went in the mill, and then we sampled the waste pile, and that came in actually at 1.7. Five, I think, one point wow. one four, and so we thought there's got to be a little more than just these two structures everybody was talking about, and then we start compiling all the data, putting it all together, and we found out oh, there's between 9 to 22 structures, and that's how we came up with saying, well, you know, it's not two structures, so uh, we had a very preliminary calculation which says it's potential that we might have those ounces there at about a, a little over a gram. So at a gram, it seems to be it's economic in, in that area because of the infrastructure, uh, so, I, I, you know, we, we just uh, just had a very preliminary calculation, we're comfortable with those numbers.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, so is your goal then, uh, it's to expand the size uh, and dimensions of the deposit, but is it also, uh, do you have an immediate goal to do some infill drilling to make this a compliant resource?
11: Yeah, well, actually, we use one drill just to do infill. In uh-huh. into what we call the primarily block model mm-hmm. and the other drill uh, we let the geologist look for structure and what's happened is uh, uh, originally we thought it was the extent, you know we thought that uh, 300 by 600 meter was the extent of our structure and as such our geological consults which is Genevar and there's one wonderful geologist there mm-hmm. she seems to kind of find an extension of the structure not just east-west but also north-south Mm-hmm. So it's not 300 meters wide anymore, it could be maybe 500 meters wide, mm. and we're still trying to figure out, uh, you know, how wide this thing is, how long this thing is, and that's one of the reasons we picked up, uh, you know, like I indicated, another 6,000 hectares just recently.
3: Mm. Yeah, you just put out a press release recently uh, to expand your resource, so you're seeing the possibility of this becoming a lot larger
11: we feel it could come a lot larger, uh, Jay, and also we've been doing some metallurgical work to see, you know, uh, can we get decent recoveries. Uh, you know, uh, we originally our bulk sample, we had about a 90% recovery on the 30,000 tons, and then we did some more metallurgical work, and what we did was we tried to see uh, what kind of a recovery we get at half a gram, uh, because we found some uh, deposits globally, we've been to some of them, whereby uh, they can actually make money at half a gram. Yeah, but you have the support structure, the infrastructure around it, and uh, so we're we looked at, uh, you know, doing this at a lower grade. So we did some test work, and even at half a gram, we got ninety percent plus recovery for our gold.
3: Wow, that's that's impressive. Well, and certainly with the thirteen fourteen hundred dollar gold prices, it doesn't hurt either. Frank, let me ask you: you have uh, you're talking about a one point six a grade, 1.6 gram per ton grade, uh, this is, I'm, I'm assuming here, this is an open pit target and you're talking about the potential of, the, of it becoming wider. So what is the depth of your drilling so far? And, and sort of in your non-compliant calculation, what depth does that go to?
11: Well, in a non-compliant calculation, we only went down to 300 meters because we thought that was also the extent of the mm-hmm. structure. Uh, now we found out it's beyond the 300 meters, and actually we'll be drilling now to about 450 meters vertical. Mm. Uh, so we still don't know if that's the extent, uh, but uh, we, there's mines in the area. They're down to 2 to 3 kilometers now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, two kilometers is not an unheard number for for some mines on, on the Cadillac trend. Uh, so it's possible we have something like that, but it's still early on. And uh, so we'll just see what we have up to 450 meters vertical, and if it goes down to 450 meter vertical, uh, then it really changes the amount of ounces that we're looking at.
3: Oh, it sure does very dramatically, and I would also just, uh, for our listeners that might not be that familiar with with mining, Frank, when you're talking about the potential for the width of this deposit to to be uh, substantially larger than that also, uh, along with the depth extension would uh, would really uh, allow for, well obviously the, the width would allow you to go deeper because you don't have, because of the geometry of the deposit yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, so you start to look at depth and width and then a long strike uh, it, it's not hard to see this becoming a, a very a potentially very substantial deposit. Now you have mentioned that you've done some metallurgical work and, and it sounds very impressive too that you can get ninety percent on a half a gram and it yeah. certainly is true that there are a lot of projects around the world, not a lot, but there are some. As, as you say, with the infrastructure in place that are making a lot of money, uh, with a half a gram per ton, especially with these gold prices, and I like to point out to my listeners, the real price of gold gold relative to all kinds of other costs have, has gone up very rapidly since the Lehman Brothers decline. Uh, you, uh, do, you, do you have money in the bank right now to continue drilling, are you going to have to raise more capital anytime soon?
11: Uh, we we have about eight million in the bank, and uh, hmm. uh, we seem to have a steady exercise of a lot of our warrants. We have a fair amount of warrants; um, most of them are in the money. And uh, you know, if all the warrants did exercise, we'll have about twelve million coming in from that. And being in Quebec, uh, we get uh, between thirty to forty-two percent back for every hard dollar we spent in the ground. So. If you spend a dollar, you get $0.30 cents to $0.42 cents back uh, per dollar that you put in the ground. Uh, that's only an exploration, and that's all we're doing is exploration. So, sure. So, uh, you know, in, 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 the, in, the, in the new year, I think we'll have uh, probably a good $14 million, uh, available to us to carry on with our program. So we, we look pretty good. Uh, Frank,
3: part? I understand that so far in your current 50,000-meter program, you've drilled about 5,000 meters. Is that correct?
11: A little over five. Uh, What we're doing is to accelerate the drill program. We're building roads to all our targets, and we're preparing all the targets for the drillers. So the drillers um, are really ahead of schedule with with the program. Uh, So we're very, very happy with that uh, because for us it's important that uh, we find the extent of the structure because we really need to come back and then do the infill, and we still haven't found the extent of the structure.
3: I think you mentioned uh, before we went on on the air that uh, there have been a lot of smaller mines, a long strike here on your properties in the past? There have been some anyway.
11: Yeah, actually, on this trend, uh, we have five on our, our property. They're former producers
3: uh,
11: eight years ago, you know, in the mm-hmm. 30s and, and the 40s and 50s. Sure. And the only reason they really shut down was a uh, lack of labor. It's not because there was no gold or the price of gold. And uh, uh, so there, there seems to be a lot. And some of them are quite deep, some of these shafts, which was kind of surprised. And, and some of them were actually uh, uh, done by what we call hand-stealing, which is an old way of mining. And uh, you know when you're going down 300, 400 meters, uh, there had to be something there to to sink a shaft uh, that deep. And then oh, there's also um, you know several kilometers of workings underground mm-hmm. and develop developed, wow. um, developed stops. Huh. Um, so it, there's something here. And then we found this thing actually extends off our property. We've traced it a considerable distance off our property, heading east actually. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they you know we look at other people around us and they're actually getting good success as well. So it could be the same structure. It could be way beyond our, our 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 land package, but it's nice. You know, it's a good area of play. It's
3: very good for us. Well, it definitely looks in very exciting. You did mention bulk sampling. You did some bulk sampling. Is there a nuggeting effect here, Frank?
11: Yeah, it's, um, it was something we looked through. Uh, we went through a lot of the historical documentation. They said there's a pronounced nugget effect, mm-hmm. and basically they said whatever you drilled, if let's say for example you drill one gram, mm-hmm. uh, by, and when you mined it and milled it, you got 1.35 grams. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there is a nugget effect. It appears as at least 20 to 35 percent, up to maybe 42 percent free gold. Mm-hmm. And even when we did our bulk sample, uh, we found that nugget effect quite pronounced. And uh so we we we're aware of it and we're we're looking into how to how to see best way to quantify this resource. So, you know, preliminary right now all we're we'll doing is drilling for structure. I know we're getting some spectacular widths and grades, and then we'll try to come back in and do a drill program basically to what we call drill for grade. And at that point we'll have an idea uh, what kind of grade we should be looking at and develop this mind according to that grade.
3: Sure developing the you're really drilling along structure so uh, I mean you're looking drilling for structure to understand this yeah. the, the extent of this deposit but so when might we expect uh, a 4301 101 uh, compliant resource when do you, you were what to, to,
11: uh, well, we, we might we were trying to target a preliminary one uh, early next year uh, what's happening though, Jay, is a lot of the labs in the area like everybody else has a gold property and they're drilling it. Have been backlogged, and uh, we have as well have been affected by that. And what used to be like a 10 to 15 day turnaround now is turning out to be sometimes two to three uh, months as a turnaround. Uh, we're adding other labs uh, to the people use, and hopefully, we'll try to bring that down to a more uh, reasonable time frame. But I don't think we can get these fifteen uh fifteen day turnarounds anymore yeah uh, it might be like that for a while because you know price of gold stays up, and everybody's out there doing exploration as well yeah uh, so we might we'll try to see if we can target something in uh by the second quarter of next year. It'll be only a preliminary resource number mm-hmm. and uh we might be looking at um originally we're looking at this as a one gram deposit um it might be something a little lower if the you know, economics look good, we'll take it at a lower grade. Uh, but we'll look at various models, you know, what we should be looking at anywhere from, you know, half a gram to about 1.5 grams and see what's the best approach. Uh, in the event, we developed this as a very large uh, open pit, uh, low-grade deposit. Uh, actually, our costs are lower to mm-hmm. develop uh, a, a lower-grade deposit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll look at
3: all the various scenarios. Well, of course, there's much to be known yet about recovery methods and all that. I mean, this is still early days, we must say, but it is very... Very exciting. I have one more question before I let you go, Frank. I noticed that uh, in one of your press releases, I believe it was, or some notes that I received from you, that actually, you know, the gold does not occur only in quartz uh, mineralization, but is also found in feldspar porphyry intrusive. With you know, yeah. So could this 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 has the potential then to get quite a bit larger as a result of that? Yeah.
11: What's happening uh, on strike going east-west? It seems to be always in these veinlets or quartz veinlet structures. But as we're going uh, uh, north-northeast, we heat, seem to be hitting these what we call altered uh, feldspar porphyry zones, extremely mm-hmm. wide. Um, we still haven't gotten results back from the labs, but it's possible because there's other deposits on strike with this structure that developed multi-million o- ounces just recently. Mm. So it's Probably possible too. that we might be on the same structure.
3: Well, this is really exciting, Frank. I hope that you'll come back with me sometime in the future. That's—I uh, don't know—is there anything else you think we need to tell our listeners right now before we before we conclude our discussion this time?
11: No, I think uh, I think that's uh, uh, there's a lot more coming, but I have to be certain that we, we can we can we can get her done in a in reasonable time frame. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I'm,
3: comfortable. I'm comfortable. Well, you you definitely are in, in one of the best places in the world to mine gold, as you say. The infrastructure's in place. One of the bottlenecks, of course, now is getting those assays back so you can start to get a vision of the future a little more quickly. But, you know, we're, as investors, always impatient for that. We want the next drill bit. We want the next drill news. So we'll be watching, though, very carefully. I know that you will be having drill results coming out on a fairly regular basis, I suppose, albeit somewhat belated. But nonetheless, very exciting, Frank. Thank you so much for being with us. Folks, don't go away. I'm going to be right back after the break with another exciting gold mining company, one that has a high-grade deposit in Nevada. Don't go away. I'll be right back.
8: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
2: Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its gold fields project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. Crocodile
4: Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy Opportunity pass by.
8: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
1: Try not to try too hard, it's just a love.
2: Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Text. Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program.
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me David Wolfen. He's the president of Coral Gold Resources Limited, and uh, he's with me again. We've had David on before, and I am extremely grateful to uh, to David Wolfen and his company. They were actually the first sponsors for this show, going back to September, or actually uh, March of 2009, when when we had only a few thousand listeners for the month. We're now growing very dramatically from that level. And so I I think uh, David is going to have a lot more ears uh, listening to what he has to say, and he has a lot of really good things to say. But before we turn to David, I just want to mention that Coral Gold trades on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol CLH. Uh, In the United States, you can buy it uh, on the -the over-the-counter market under the symbol CLHRF is in frank there's uh... thirty two point five million shares outstanding fully diluted forty two point five million trading at about seventy four cents today when i checked earlier in the day but you know this gives the company a market cap of only about twenty four million dollars and i say only about twenty four million dollars because uh... i think what david is going to tell us uh... would suggest that that is the case that is very undervalued compared to some of the peers and that's quite frankly a reason that i have recommended this stock to my subscribers also because we like to buy them when nobody else wants them that's the best time to buy them and if you're in a bull market like we are for gold mining now i think it's just a matter of time before the market starts to price uh... according to intrinsic value so david it's really good to have you again. welcome
10: thank you it's a pleasure being here
3: really a pleasure talking to you and uh... you know i, I will remember with great fondness, your father. I've known him for many years, going back. Uh, in fact, uh, I dug out of my file today, David, a newsletter that I wrote. I think it was 1987. Could that be possible? Yes. Um, way back, I had first talked about coral uh, back in 1987, and you know, I mean, I'm thinking that that far back, I had to say, was it 97? No, it was 87. 87. Uh, 87. So thanks for passing that along. I actually would have had had it in my files here in the uh but but in any event, let's get on to the Robertson Gold property, which is your primary focus in Nevada. Uh there is uh, quite a few ounces of gold already outlined there, 3.4 million ounces, I believe is that your national instrument 43101 number.
10: Yes, that's correct.
3: And uh What are the prospects, in your view, for increasing that number? Not that you need to necessarily. 3.4 million ounces is a pretty nice starting point. But um, I know that you are doing more exploration and development there on the Robertson. Uh, Any idea? Will we start seeing some more numbers sometime soon, Dave? Absolutely.
10: There's uh, drill results coming out uh, this week on uh, uh, diamond core drilling. Um, Most of the drilling in the past uh, was done uh, via reverse circulation, which is uh, less certain drilling usually used for exploration. But uh, last year we decided with the price of gold going higher, rather than, keep increasing the resource, we were going to now move it towards production and upgrade the resource. So we started uh, diamond core drilling this year.
3: Well, diamond core drilling is a lot more expensive. I know from my experience in this business that sometimes the reverse circulation numbers might be different from what you get in a diamond core. Do you have any sense of whether that's the case here?
10: Absolutely. Because we're looking at a bulk tonnage type story in Nevada, you're dealing with microscopic gold. And when you use reverse circulation, sometimes you lose particles of gold or it gets displaced on the way up uh, the drill bit. So we are diamond core drilling and the results so far have been coming back better. Uh, The grade has improved. um, So we're pretty excited about the prospects for next year. Um The plan is to wrap up the last hole uh this month, and then we're going to do metallurgical test work, which will f- be followed by a preliminary economic assessment report by the middle of next year
3: hmm. oh, that'll be something to look forward to uh, let me just to give the listeners a sense of what your grades are. I mentioned three point four million ounces. What sort of average grades are you looking at here, David?
10: Well. The average grades are comparable to the mines in the area, but you're looking uh, in metric terms, it's about um, between half
3: and one
10: gram of gold.
3: Mm-hmm. And so it is conceivable, though, uh, uh, and those numbers are based on reverse circulation? Correct. So it is conceivable that we could see slightly higher grades, possibly, than what Absolutely. you might have, by Oh, okay. Well, that's some potential blue sky. We're not promising anybody anything. Uh, you know, this is a very, it's a, it's a very risky business mining and it's exploration brings with it risks, but we're in the best of all worlds. We've got the wind at our back right now in what I call the most, uh, I think the bull market of a lifetime. Uh, David, so you've got, uh, you, you're going to go forward with, uh, with some economic studies by the middle of next year. You expect to have some, some, some sense of what it might cost and how much you can produce and what the capital cost would be.
10: Correct. Um, we think it'll be the cash cost per ounce should be in the neighborhood of four to 500 U.S. per ounce. That's what mm-hmm. we're anticipating. Uh, the capex cost to build a leaching operation depends on the size. Um, that will be determined by the uh, the 3D modeling in the proposed pits, because they'll have to figure out what the strip ratios will be. And um, um, we're thinking somewhere by uh, about... Uh, 50 to 75 million to put in a, a decent sized leaching operation.
3: Well, that's uh that is very modest compared to many projects and and what any sort of ballpark idea of how much you might be able to produce with an operation that size. Again, well, subject to 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 more studies. Yeah, um
10: Basically, you just look at Allied Nevada. In 2009, they produced about 35,000 ounces. This year, they're talking about 100,000 ounces, and then in 2012, going to a quarter million. So they started with a very small, modest operation, um, and this is the type of model that we're looking to follow.
3: Well, that is a company I must, uh, must mention is one of my favorites among the producers and one that also has high silver values, but it's, it's been very successful. And, David, their grades are, 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 I think, well below a gram per ton or maybe when you I, – I believe. I can't remember exactly That's
10: correct. It's, yeah. it's just uh, below a gram, but they do have silver, and we, we, are, we don't have that much silver on our property, so they do have a, a benefit there.
3: Well, they do have the silver, but I might also mention they 're not getting much of that silver, I think maybe ten percent or so. So the economics are working very well without almost none of the silver being recovered now um, but anyway uh, let 's go to then the possibilities of of expanding um, and, and cap at, well no let's let's shift gears here, here's what I'd like to ask you about we're looking as I mentioned in the introduction here at a market cap of twenty four million dollars. You got 3.2 million ounces of gold in the ground. Now, certainly it's not like, you know, you have a final feasibility study. It's not like you're a high level of, of confidence, really high level of confidence yet in how much gold you're going to produce and at what price, although there's some, you know, reasonable numbers you just gave us. Uh, but how do you account for, I mean, what does this amount to in terms of what is the market paying for that, for, ounce, for an ounce of gold in the ground? Right
10: it works now? out you, to be just under $10 an ounce, which is very that, cheap.
3: Well, I guess it is, and and I, I believe that recently we uh, Mc, uh, it was Canaccord McAdams that put out a a report talking about you know the average price or maybe the average price being paid for gold in the ground, and I I guess you got to really differentiate between uh, gold in the ground for a producing company and gold in the ground for a newly a new a uh, new discovery. But he uh, I think that report talked about something around 120 or 125. That's
10: correct for in situ of gold, gold in the ground. In the ground.
3: So if you just took that, let's say you, let's say you come out with a, a positive study next year and it's suggesting that you can produce gold at 400 to $500 an ounce produce, uh, and, and produce a fair amount of it. Uh, it, it seems to me the market is not going to be sitting with $10 an ounce in the ground. No,
1: let's,
10: let's assume we, um, of the three and a half million ounces of gold, maybe a million or maybe a million and a half is heap leachable. And if we're able to um, do, run the numbers on that and, and upgrade the caliber of ounces, you can, you can figure out the math. If you get a, you know, a $100 times a million is $100 million. So with our, our shares outstanding, that's a $3 or $4 share price right there easily.
3: Uh, compared to your 70 some cents right now, well, you know you're yeah. going to be upgrading. So this is not something that's going to happen necessarily all at once, but you'll be upgrading the deposit so that the confidence level in the ounces in the ground and the grades and so forth will be improved. And then you add that the possibility that you could have somewhat higher grade even uh, the market. Um, I mean, there we you're going to have some of this. When do you expect to have your next 43 43101 um, upgraded resource?
10: Um, probably within the next month or two. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, and it's 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 basically from the, the most recent drilling. Mm-hmm. So um, it will give us more confidence in the oxides, which is what we're looking to heap leach.
3: Sure, yeah. indeed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this has been a very... You're, you're surrounded here by Barrick Gold, aren't you?
10: That's correct. They have a half a million acres completely surrounding us they're bringing into production the, the brand-new giant mine called Cortez Hills. They're spending $650 million to bring that into production. They expect full payback in the first 12 months of mining. That's, that's enormous. Pretty- it's a, it's a million-ounce-per-year producer.
3: That's incredible. What sort of a mine life do they have? It must be a big thing.
10: Oh, yeah. I think it's 10 to 12 years minimum, but that's minimum. only based on their reserves. there have got a lot of resources they don't even report. And is if there... you look at the history of this property, this uh, was the main asset of Placer Dome. And they took out Placer Dome, I think it was in 2006, for $9 billion, And the pipeline mine, which is even closer to our boundary, produced 1 million ounces of gold annually for 10 years straight, which represented... Basically, um, one-fifth of Placer Dome's annual production, they were producing about 5 million ounces annually when they were taken over. So this was a major, major producer of Placer Dome's.
3: Well, you're talking about doing economic studies on your own and going forward and producing gold on your own. Uh you'll no doubt will have to, if you do that, bring in some more uh some more technicians. But what are the chances then, do you think, of being bought out by Barrett Gold at some point? You certainly wouldn't want to sell now at ten dollars. Well
10: that's right. We could go and uh, sell it right now, but we don't want to because it's, it's very cheap. And we have to go back and reconfirm a lot of the work that was done back in the 1990s. And by doing that, we will um, uh, increase the value of the company. People will see certainty in, under the new 43101 guidelines. So um, I do think that not only Barrick but Newmont, Kinross, these companies will be looking for other projects um barracks producing, I think, 8 million ounces of gold annually, very difficult to replace that every year just to, to remain even, let alone grow. So um, I, as we increase our market cap, I think uh, um, it will one day become a target.
3: David, do you think with Barrick surrounding you, they're really the only big guy right around you right now? Do you think there's some chance there could be some competitive bidding for your asset, especially if there is some chance of of growing that 3.2 million ounce deposit into something much bigger? Do you think there's absolutely? A, there's a I mean,
10: if you look at like Newmont, they've told us before if you're in a hundred mile radius of their operations, they're interested because they have depleting mines and they don't want to just sell off their mills for scrap metal. So they're, they'll be accepting ore from all over Nevada. A lot of these uh, mills do custom milling from all over North America. So that just mining their own deposit isn't 100% of their production. So uh-huh. they're definitely going to be interested.
3: Yes, that's fascinating. Well, this has a lot of upside potential here. Tell our listeners how they can keep track of, what, of the progress of your company. What's your website? Yeah, it's www.coralgold.com. Excellent. Well, thank you David so much for being with us and uh, sharing uh, your information. I think we're going to have you back on sometime very soon again. We'll look for an update. Maybe we'll have some uh, an updated 43101 to tell our listeners about the next time. I hope that's the case. Anyway, thank you very much. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Roger Wiegand for some final thoughts on this week's show. Don't go away.
6: As regular listeners to this show know, I am very bullish on gold, and especially gold mining stocks. One of my favorite gold mining companies is Metanor Resources, traded Toronto and the Pink Sheets. This is a new gold producer. It is using cash flows from its berry mine in Quebec to finance growth of that mine and to put the world-famous Quebec Bachelor Lake mine back into production. This stock has been recommended by my newsletter because I do believe it holds extraordinary upside price potential with relatively low levels of risk. Visit Metanor's website at metanor.ca or subscribe to my newsletter for more information.
4: Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity. Pass by.
1: Try not to try too hard. It's just a lovely ride
2: listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now back to our program.
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host Jay Taylor, and I'm here with Roger Wiegand. You uh, just heard the lady say that you should consider buying Jay Taylor's newsletter. I would also like to suggest you consider buying Roger Wiegand's excellent newsletter called Trader Tracks. Welcome, Roger.
12: Good to be here, Jay.
3: Good to have you. Uh, I want to just get your pick your brains a little bit on the markets. We're talking, of course, gold and silver. Uh, silver, let's take silver first because it's really been outperforming gold. How do you see silver uh, technically, Roger, And looking at your charts? What what are well, you we, seeing? For we
12: had seen, Jay, a march uh, resistance point at $30.18, and we had big rallies overnight and into this morning in both gold and silver. Silver opened at $30.20. It hit a high of $30.75, going past my $0.18 cents point. It did come back on profit-taking, hit a low of twenty-eight forty-eight, but it's bounced back again right now. The March most active silver futures, $28.72. So uh, it's very volatile, obviously. Uh, if gold moves 1%, silver moves 2 or 3%. Uh, we like it very much. The trend is up. Uh, based on fundamentals and the technicals, uh, we think it's going a lot higher.
3: Uh, Got a target price, longer term?
12: Longer term, I, I, I think next year, at uh, minimum $42. And now I'm beginning to see it with the acceleration. There's a probable chance next year of uh, 48 50 $50, which is the old years ago high.
3: Okay, Roger. We only have a couple of minutes. Well, not even that. We've got about a minute left. What about gold? How does that look?
12: Well, gold had to run again too, and my my high was uh, fourteen twenty four, and it opened above in a gap this morning at fourteen twenty six, went to a high of fourteen hundred and thirty two dollars and fifty cents, then it did come back on a sell off. Currently trading, February gold futures, uh, fourteen hundred and two dollars and ninety cents. <laughs> Uh, we like 1407 for support and resistance. Uh, we're looking for gold to go a lot higher.
3: Well, it would seem to be the case. Uh, as Mr. Bernanke continues to print money, I think lots of items, not only gold and silver, but a lot of the commodities are going to go higher. I wish we had time to talk about some more. We don't, Roger. We always seem to give you the short end of the stick here when you come on the last segment, but uh, I thank you for coming on. I want to say that you can take advantage of Roger's uh, one-time trial offer to uh, try out Roger's letter, as well as Chen Lin's letter and my letter, by calling Claudio Bossi at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. You can also go to our website at MiningStocks com what is chen buying what is chen selling roger Wiegand's excellent letter trader tracks and mine. jay taylor's gold energy and tech stocks next week our special guest is going to be lieutenant general william boykin he will talk to us about how the u.s. is following the same path into a marxist communist prison as all other nations have that have gone in that direction so this is a very alarming uh, discussion we're going to have with general lieutenant general boykin but i think it's well worth listening to and understanding what's going on really going on behind the scenes. Also next week, Danny Kofke will tell us how you can survive on a teacher's salary. Uh, we want to thank each of you for listening again, and we also want to thank our sponsors. In closing, I want to thank the staff at Voice America, starting with my executive senior producer, Tacy Trump, Ruben Colombe, and my operations manager, Justin Jackman, my engineer. Thanks to all of you for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you.
2: Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, the
1: thing about times, the time isn't
2: real.